Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Eric Roges, and I'm the executive pastor here at Rolling Hills. We all have stories of thanksgiving in our lives. We have stories of God being faithful to our desires, answering our long-awaited prayers, or bringing hope when we had lost all hope. When we retell these stories of God's goodness in our lives, we cultivate a deeper sense of gratitude towards our Father for His continued faithfulness in fulfilling His promises to us. And that's what we're doing today. Today's message is all about God's goodness, kindness, and patience with us. Today is all about telling stories of thanksgiving. We're so glad you're listening. Well, again, if you've come in since we did welcome, my name is T. Lusk, and I get to serve as the campus pastor here at Rolling Hills, Commu- uh, Rolling Hills Columbia, and uh, and excited that uh, we get to worship today on a, on a special day. This is uh, the end of a series called Celebrating God's Goodness, but it's a Sunday uh, that we call Stories of Thanksgiving. And so you heard stories earlier, just the video. Uh, there's an interview that we have um, Kurt and Cindy Nunn will join us here in just a minute and share a little bit about uh, their lives and what, uh, what they're thankful for and how God's kind of using them and shaping them and molding them. Uh, we're going to celebrate communion together as a, as a family. So it's just, a, it's an exciting day. Also, today we have kids in the room, right? Is that awesome? I, I, I love it. If there's a different energy when the kids are in the room, there's like a balance. It's like energy good and energy like moms are really nervous, right? So um, kids, we're excited that you're here. You bring such an awesome feel to the room. Moms, it's cool. It's all right. If they talk a little bit, it'll be all right. Um, so anyway, let's, uh, let's jump in. The, you know, we've been uh, working through the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapters 1 through 5. And again, this is kind of the wrap-up of that, that we'll be in chapter 5 this morning. If you want to grab your Bibles, we'll, we'll jump there in just a second. But as we've worked through it over the past couple of weeks, what we've talked about is, is celebrating God's goodness in one another. And how we celebrate what God has done in, in each other. And, and the beginning of that was really the, the celebration of what God has done as, as the church, as, as Rolling Hills began uh, 18 years ago and celebrating all those things that God's done in the lives of individuals and how you guys make up what, what the church here at Rolling Hills. And uh, it's an exciting thing to look at and to, to look at the, where we've come from and where we are. And it, week two, we talked about celebrating God's goodness and how it begins in our hearts. How it begins in hearts that have been transformed and trust in the goodness of God. And then we turn to chapter 3 and we talked about celebrating God's goodness in the church. And how when we celebrate God's goodness in the church, it's an encouragement to the church of God's goodness. Like it's reciprocal as we continue, we celebrate what God's done and it encourages us and, and then it continues, we continue to walk in faithfulness where, where God does more for us and we get to share and, and celebrate those things. Last week... When we gather, we, talk about, we talked about how celebrating God's goodness becomes the fuel for us to continue, for us as individuals to continue to walk and live lives of faithfulness and, and hope and, 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 and hope and holiness and hope, live lives of faithfulness, holiness and hope. And, and so this week, we're going to turn to chapter five. And really what I'm hoping as we celebrate stories of Thanksgiving is this, is we, we'll kind of hone in on one passage here in this chapter and what we'll look at is this, that, the, that joy, prayer, and gratitude are markers in the life of every believer that is growing in their faith. Now, the main idea of what we're going to talk about as we work through this chapter, and we really kind of focus in on three verses, is that, that joy, prayer, and gratitude are markers in the life of every believer that is growing in their faith. 
So let's pray real quick and then we'll dive into the passage. Jesus, we do thank you. As we sang it earlier, we thank you for so many things, for your faithfulness and your love. We thank you that we do get to gather here on Sunday after Sunday. Lord, and when we were looking for a place to, to, to gather as Rolling Hills, Columbia, God, this place is the place that you brought to us. You made it clear that this is where we would start. And we want to thank you for it. We thank you for the people that are here and the people that serve and the kids that are in the room and how much joy and energy that does bring uh, to what you're doing here at Rolling Hills Columbia. And we just want to be people that are, that are thankful, that gratitude would mark our lives, Lord. And would you be honored this morning as we continue to work through your word? Would you transform our hearts? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And so just a quick overview before we get to the passage specific, you know, Paul is writing this letter to the, the Thessalonians, the church at Thessalonica, and this is a group of new believers. He met them on the second missionary journey, and really he was only there for a short window of time. It really between two and three weeks is what is estimated the time that he was there before he had to go on to another town because of the persecution that was happening as the gospel was taking root in the hearts and lives of individuals there. And so they, they experienced persecution and they left. But, it, but the church that he started there in Thessalonica, even in those three weeks, it began to grow and flourish. And those individuals were experiencing, uh, were experiencing persecution as well. They had lost jobs. They had been ostracized from their families and lost friends and family because of their faith in Jesus. And as we looked back last week, it's safe to say that some of them even lost their lives for the sake of the gospel. And so they had been experiencing persecution in the wake of Paul leaving and, and going to the next spot on the missionary journey. And Paul's writing this letter, he's pinning this letter after he gets a word back from Timothy, the same Timothy that's later on in the New Testament that Paul writes a letter to. Timothy comes back after visiting this church and gives a glowing report of what, what the people there in Thessalonica are doing and how God is using them and how they're walking in faithfulness and loving them. So Paul's writing to say, hey, keep doing what you've been doing. So we talked about last week. He keeps saying, hey, what you've been doing, keep doing it, and all the more even now. And he's reminding them of God's goodness and holiness and that, that they live and encouraging to live lives that honor him and, and display outwardly the transformation that's inwardly happened because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this will continue. He started that in chapter four. And the last week we talked about he encouraged them to walk in holiness and, and to love one another and to rest in hope, even in the fact that they were grieving the loss of others, that, that they would rest in hope. And in the first 11 verses of this chapter, chapter 5, he kind of continues in that conversation about what it looks like and what's going to happen at the end of time. And, and one was talking about death, but now he's saying, hey, listen, we're, we're people of the light. We're not people of the darkness. And so we know that the end is, is, is near, that God is coming back. And, and we live in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. So he's encouraging them, pointing towards the end. And in verse 13, or 12, excuse me, in verse 12 and 13, he kind of gives some instructions to the, to the church and how they should honor their leaders. He says this in, in verse 12, he says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work, and live at peace with one another. 
And so he's just kind of, hey, this is how you, how you interact with the leaders, the, the ones that God's called out to lead the church. And then secondly, in, in verse 14 and 15, he talks about how you, how you love and care and, and step into one another's lives. Listen, verse 14 says, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, again, talking to the same group of people, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. I needed to hear that this week a lot. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good to each other and to everyone else. And then from there, he, in verse 16 through 18, which is where we're gonna spend the rest of our time this morning, he makes the switch not to the outward, but now inwardly. Hey, to, to the, those first couple of passages in 12 and 13 and, and then 14 and 15 are these outward relationships. And now he's looking at us and saying, hey, you, this is the way you live. And these are the passage that if you've been around the church, you may have heard it before, but I want you to hear it maybe with fresh ears this morning. That This is what Paul writes to this group of believers that have experienced persecution. These are not people who have walked through life easily. This is what he says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so he makes this switch and he says, Hey, this is how you honor leaders and this is how you, and how you care for one another. But you individually rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, says about this text that these three texts, these three verses are three companion pictures that represent the life of a true Christian. That these three verses are, are, are a companion picture. They put this together. They represent what it looks like to be a true believer. And what we said, our main idea is that joy and prayer and gratitude are markers. They're, they're a picture. They're, they're a part of every believer who is growing in their faith with Jesus. And so what we want to do is kind of separate those three and talk about them just really quick about what each and how each and every one of them kind of fits in the life of the believer. And what we're gonna say is first that it, joy, because of what Christ has done, because Christ is alive in, the, in believers, joy is our disposition. If you write notes, you can write this down. Joy is our disposition. Again, it says rejoice always. It's incredible to me, you know, we talked about it last week where he says, he tells us to grieve as those without, grieve as those with hope. Right, And so that's emotion that he's, he's instructing us to give. And here again, there's emotion, right? We're supposed to rejoice always. I'm so thankful that, that the Christian life, the life of a believer is not a stoic, emotionless life. And that's in stark contrast to what's happening a lot of times, even in the world that we're, that we're peering into as Paul's writing this, stoicism was a, a major part of the way that the Romans would live. And like, hey, let's show no emotions and never get mad or angry or, or happy or sad. It's just always level. But he's saying, listen, rejoice. What marks a believer is their joy. How incredible is that? I think one of the, thing, the ways that this passage and all three of these, the language is always be rejoicing. Always be rejoicing. And I think maybe we need to fix our understanding of what we think about, what comes to mind when we talk about joy, right? We're not talking about just, there's nothing wrong with cheerleaders. I'm not talking about being a bunch of cheerleaders who just run around and are happy all the time. 
right? If you're a cheerleader, that's great. Thank you for cheering. But that's not what the call is, just to run around and have smiles on our face and just be happy all the time. A couple weeks ago, I was watching a football game and I was in the background, there was a, a young lady who was a cheerleader and she was losing her mind with excitement as the other team scored. And I thought, you misunderstand what your role is. But she was rejoicing always, which maybe she understood, maybe, I, I don't know, it was maybe a connection. But joy is not just being happy, right? It's not just putting a smile, a fake smile on and declaring everything is great. Joy is a disposition. And if we kind of just a, a definition of that, joy is the fundamental quality of the, the mind, the character. It's the fundamental quality of the, and character of an individual. It's part of who we are at the core because Christ has transformed us and given us a new heart and new spirit and new life. And joy is a part of who we are. Joy is separate, separate from, from happiness and it, because joy is dependent upon Jesus where happiness is dependent, dependent upon happen, happenings. Joy is based on Christ where happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is the fruit of the spirit of God that's inside of us and where happiness is the fruit of shallow emotions. And Paul, when he says to these believers that they would be always be rejoicing, saying you can rejoice, you can always be rejoicing because your joy is based on Jesus and he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And think about this audience that Paul is writing to. And again, this instruction is to be joyful in the midst of obvious persecution and sorrow that they've experienced. And so where does that kind of joy come from? And there's maybe not room in your, in your worship guide to write this down, but I think maybe there's some space underneath on the bottom there. Joy comes from confidence, right? And, and I would kind of give you a couple of things, a couple of ways that I think the, this confidence, what, where our confidence comes from. Joy comes from conf, our confidence that, that we have new life in Christ, that, we've been, that Christ has rescued us and he's made us new creation. He's put his spirit inside of us and, and the fruit of God's life inside of us is this joy. And listen, if you don't have a relationship with God yet and you're miserable in life, maybe you just have this countenance of, of sadness and you just don't know why, I'm, I'm telling you that, that the joy is what God gives us when he rescues us. So we have confidence. Joy can be our disposition because we're confident in the new life that we have in Christ. Joy is our disposition because, we're because of the confidence that comes in our salvation and, and our eternity with him. I can be joyful today no matter what the circumstances are because I know that this moment is not the end, that the best is yet to come, that I get to spend an eternity with God in a place called heaven that he's preparing right now for us according to his word where there's no more suffering and no more tears and no more sorrow. So I can have joy now because I know now is not the only thing. It's the confidence that now is not the only. Joy is my disposition because I'm confident that I'm Christ's child that I'm his child. J.I. Packer, the British theologian, says this when he was asked what gives him joy. He says, first, the basic thing, first and basic thing is knowing that I'm a child of God, knowing that I'm secure in his hands. Oh, that he is my father and that this 
world and everything in it, everything that happens is programmed by him for my good. And so at the deepest sense, I have nothing to worry about. I can have joy because I know who I belong to, that I'm a child of God, and that my dad holds everything in his hands, which is the last. I can have confidence. I can be joyful. That can be my disposition because I'm confident that Christ is in control. It's what Paul has said in the first three chapters of of this book. He's just laying out the reality, this theology that God is in control. I mean, who knew when you were in kids ministry as as a kid, maybe if you went to vacation Bible school and you sang, he's got the whole world in his hands. What rich theology that would be for us today that would give us joy and confidence that that could be our disposition in life. So it gives us the why. Why can we be joyful? What's the how? How can we be joyful? I know why I can be joyful. Can this my disposition? How can I be joyful? And, and rejoice always. He says, always be rejoicing is an instruction in verse 16 that's followed by another instruction in verse 17. And I think in that instruction, we find the how. Verse, th- verse 17 says, pray continually. That joy can be my disposition and I can be rejoicing always by praying Always. Joy is my disposition because prayer is my position. Joy can be our disposition because prayer is our position. Charles Spurgeon, it's hard to say it better than he does, influenced a lot of what happened as I was reading and studying this week. He says this, the position of this text is very suggestive. Observe that it follows, observe what it follows. It comes immediately after the precept, rejoice evermore. As if the command had somewhat staggered the reader and made him ask, how can I always be rejoicing? And therefore the apostle says, always be praying. The more you pray, the more you'll rejoice. Prayer gives us the channel to that pent up sorrow in our soul that that begins to flow away and in its place comes a stream of sacred delight flooding into our hearts. Holy joy and prayer act and react upon each other. Remember the language is always be rejoicing. Continual prayer is, 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 represents the normal life of every Christian. You're like, okay, that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. How, how can I continually be in prayer? Well, listen, continual joy only comes when we are continually in communion with God. So again, let's do the what and the, what and the why. To, to, to pray continually is more than just a physical position, right? We're not talking, even though physical position is important, right? Scripture testifies and believers throughout history talk about how we pray on our knees and with our face down and with our heads bowed and with our eyes open and praising the Lord and, and celebrating, crying out in need. Our physical position in prayer is important, but what Paul's talking about is a position of our heart and our mind before the Lord in prayer. That's why the position of our heart, the position of our heart and mind is so important because Ian Bounds, another author and pastor, says this. He says, We are confident that our loving and gracious Father is with us moment by moment. We're aware of his presence and convinced that he cares deeply about every detail of our lives. With this truth gripping our souls, how 
What could keep us from being busy with prayer? I believe if we slow down and really honestly take a look at our lives, there's plenty of reasons. On the one side, God's presence with us. On the other, that we just need to be praying continually. And the busyness and the craziness of our lives, that truly so much should occupy, because every moment, a believer, moment by moment, it, it needs Christ present for our weakness. We need prayer in every moment for our, for our wants and our fears, the dangers that we face, the temptations that beg for us to follow them, that we pray continually. We're always in need of God's mercy and grace. We're always in need of God's presence and his power. We're always in need of God's wisdom and his goodness. And prayer is the avenue that the Lord has invited us to come into where he meets us and comforts us and quiets us strengthens us and guides us, sustains us and awakens us. As we think about this, this instruction to pray continually following and, and kind of the how for, for rejoicing always, I think it's helpful for us to have a, a handful of kind of practical responses, practical things that we would do uh, this week, maybe to kind of put this into practice. So I'll give you a couple that, that I think are, that'll kind of help us uh, just put this into practice, this con- praying continually. I'd say this, that we start with prayer. It's hard to pray continually all day long unless you start by praying in the morning, right? That's, I mean, that's science, I guess, if you want to qualify it as that. Not really, I don't know what it is. We start by praying. When you wake up, the very first thing that we do is pray. Before we pick up our phones, maybe even before our feet hit the floor, that we begin by interacting with the Lord. And I, this is not a new idea. Jewish custom is, is pretty clear. It suggests that it goes all the way back to Abraham where it was kind of part of, of the customs and traditions of the, of the Jewish people and that folks in the Old Testament that we read about, that Jesus and Paul that's even writing this would give the instructions that he would start the day with prayer. Actually, before his feet hit the ground, they would say this prayer. I offer thanks to you, living and eternal God, for you have mercifully restored my soul within me. Your faithfulness is great. That all over the world today and all throughout history, the God's people, the Jewish people in the Old Testament and Jesus more than likely would have prayed this exact prayer. I offer thanks to you, living and eternal King. For you have mercifully restored my soul within me. Your faithfulness is great. Before his feet would hit the floor before Jesus picked up his iPhone. That's funny. (laughs) We start the day with prayer so that we can continue the day in prayer. What would it look like if we started this whole week just thanking God for his mercy before we ever got out of bed? So we start with prayer. We have times of prayer. Again, I'm not creating this out of thin air. This is what's happened throughout history of the church. You think about Daniel in the Old Testament. What got him in trouble is that he was committed to the hours of prayer. When the, when the God's people would gather or, or, or find a hiding place, a, a quiet place, a, a closet to pray, and they would pray and, and ask God to do things. There was a, a moment throughout the day, these times of prayer, that they were segregated or separated for them to spend time with God. And throughout church history, the, the hours, six 
6 a.m., 9 a.m., 12, 3, and 6 p.m., these moments throughout the day. And I've told you before that my, my watch goes off at these hours, and it's not like I pause and pull over on the side of the road or stop the conversation I'm in, right? But maybe in that moment, that just reminds me and, and draws me back to saying, God, thank you for your mercy. God, thank you for your grace. Help me in this conversation. God, help me to be gracious when I get home. These moments that are throughout, because listen, I, I need these, these reminders. So not only do we start, but we have times of prayer. And I, I'm, listen, maybe don't start with all of them, but maybe set your clock for a couple of times during the day. And then again, not to kick people out of the room whenever you're talking to them, right? If you're in the middle of a meeting, chill out. Don't kick everybody out so you can pray. But just in that moment, just say, God, would you give me mercy and grace? Would you strengthen me? Would you give me wisdom? So those reminders to bring us back so that we can be praying consistently. And the last one is this a cue for prayers. I think this is my favorite because again, this is, as you th- look back and read Jewish history and Jewish custom, they had these prayers for hand washing. They had prayers for different activities that they would do throughout the day. Why? Because God instructed them to continue to pray all the time. Right? And so I need it. So if I'm washing my hands, these are just a few that I'm thinking about. Just why, what if every time I wash my hands, which should be a lot, it was just a time to spend with the Lord and ask him to give me wisdom for the next thing that I'm doing or thank him for his grace. What if every time you got in and out of your car, you just thanked God for his presence? What if every time you walked into a new room for a meeting, you just asked God to go before you and bring peace what if every time you send an email, you prayed for the person or the persons that were going to receive it? What if, what if every time you picked up your phone before you checked your text messages, that was a spark to say, God, would you give me wisdom? If we're going to pray continually, it's not just going to be because we separate from, from life in general. It's going to be because we set times to do so, that we start and we set times and we have cues, little things. And listen, just give me, give yourself a break. Like you're gonna go, you're gonna think about this midweek and you're like, oh, T, I didn't do it at all this week. It's like Thursday and you're like, ah, oh, I, didn't, I didn't do anything. Okay, chill out, start then. Maybe tomorrow midday, you're like, oh, I didn't start the day with prayer. Cool, start now. Don't kick yourself. Start whenever you find yourself, whenever you're reminded of it. Give yourself a break, don't just quit. Jump in at that point. And, and, and maybe keep the hours or, or have those cues for yourself. Paul answers the question of how we're, we can be joyful with the instruction to always be praying. And from that, it leads to this last, to be thankful. And it becomes the connection link. That, the prayer then becomes the connection between these two, to, that, that joy and, and thankfulness are linked because of prayer. And so this last is that gratitude is our vision, which really just means that it's the way that we see the world. That we begin to see the world through a lens of gratitude, of, thank, of thanksgiving. That we look at things that are around us and rather than complaining about them, we're asking God or thanking him for what he's doing. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. Again, Charles Spurgeon says of this, when joy and prayer are married, 
their firstborn child is gratitude. And scripture piles up all the reasons why we should be thankful for the, to the Lord, right? Because he's good and he's sovereign, because he's loving and caring, because he watches over us and protects us, because he redeems us, he's the giver of good gifts, because he shows us mercy. But, but what Paul says in this is not because of the reasons, all the reasons why we should be grateful. Paul says this, he says, because giving thanks is God's will for your life. As we rejoice and we pray, Giving thanks is God's will for your life. One pastor that I read this week, Lincoln, a pastor out of Jackson, Mississippi, said this. He says, I suspect Paul is saying it's God's will for your life to give thanks in everything because Paul is indicating to us that it's God's grand design to create joyful, rejoicing people. His purpose was not to create people who were shriveled up and shrill and ungrateful and miserable but through his redemption, create people who rejoice and celebrate and are grateful. There's a handful of people in my life that I would say exhibit this kind of gratitude. And I met one, uh, two of them uh, just about a year ago. And um, every time I'm around them, uh, I'm struck by the fact that they are just so thankful. And getting to know them, I I believe that it's because they rejoice and they're prayerful. And so I'm gonna invite the nuns to come up and share a little bit about their story and just what God's been doing in their lives. Y'all have a microphone? Yes, okay, good. You can squeeze, yeah, either either side is good. This is Kurt and Cindy Nunn. She is the much better half. of this arrangement here. Um, (laughs) So why don't you just start and just kind of share a little bit about um, a quick overview of of how you guys got here to Columbia and uh, to be a part of Rolling Hills, um, Rolling Hills in Columbia. So So about a year ago, um, we left California and I'll leave that really brief, but there was a lot of things put in front of us to not get us here. To the point that anything that had to do with something that was valuable and tender to our heart got attacked. Mm. Um, And all we could say at that time was, God must have something great in Tennessee for us because we sure are getting a lot of opposition to leave here. Um, And so everything you were saying, we actually learned to do because when your heart is broken, you just say, in this, I'm gonna praise you anyway. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna find reasons to be grateful. Yeah. So, um, we made it to Tennessee um, the time we came, 2020, COVID, lockdowns, rioting, fires, all that good stuff. <laughs> so we avoided the big cities to get here. Um, we landed first in um, Thompson Station at an apartment we leased for three months while we looked for a place to land. <laughs> And uh, we came in three sets, our oldest daughter, husband, and two grandchildren, Kurt and I, and our mama, who is Dottie, who's now with us. Oops, thanks. Um, So while we were in the apartments, we worked with a um, realtor, Misty Woodford, and one of our first meetings with her is we said, we are looking for a Bible-teaching, Bible-believing church. Can you point us in the right direction, and she said, 
I go to a great church that qualifies. <laughs> and she told us of Rolling Hills Community Church. And so that weekend, uh, Kurt and I went. Right away, we knew that this was for us. Um, we had come from an area that we weren't allowed to meet inside churches, and so to walk in and worship for other believers was unbelievable. Um, our second Sunday there, we heard of For the Kingdom, and we'd been looking for homes, and we kind of were looking in this Columbia area, and when um, Jeff said, and the next campus, and I whispered to Kurt, let it be Columbia, and they said <laughs> Columbia, and I went, oh! And we just felt such confirmation at that point. And so um, that's how we ended up yeah. here. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and so, Kurt, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're thankful for in, in, in finding a home here in, um, in Columbia and at Rolling Hills, Columbia? Well, I would start by saying I could spend all day talking about the things we're thankful for uh, with this church. Um, and I can, I'll start by just saying, you know, the first time we, we went to the Rolling Hills uh, Franklin campus and walked in, and I know you, you guys that have grown up here listen to this worship all the time. It is amazing. So I talked to Greg, and, and it's not the thing for us that it's not just that they're great musicians and great singers, which they are, but the heart that which they do it, it just shines through in it pulls you in to worship with them. So it's, that's just been a bonus for us. It's been unbelievable. So Greg, thank you for all that you guys do uh, to help us in that. And then <clears throat> the other main thing was that they keep the main thing, the main thing. It's about Jesus. That's what we talk about here. That's what we learn about here. And that's how we're encouraged to grow here. It's because of Jesus. And we wanted to find a place that did that. And finally, I think for, for us, uh, one of the huge factors is, is you guys. I mean, we see Christ being modeled in the lives of the people that we've met. We, we've got a great community group that we've joined in and, and are starting to learn some names and faces here. It's absolutely wonderful. So I wrote this down because I came across this yesterday during my quiet time, and this kind of says it all for me. And he says, <clears throat> to know God, not merely to know about God, an intimate fellowship is the most meaningful pursuit of life. We see that in UT and our, and the, and our pastoral staff and the, and the worship team, and we see it with you guys. And it encourages us to keep going and keep doing the things we're doing. So thank you all for being part of this. It's been wonderful. And Cindy, just kind of looking forward, we're yeah. thankful that you guys are a part of, of, of this. But, you know, I've talked to you all about some of the things that you're all doing. So what are you excited about? What are you thankful for as you look forward to what God's doing and what, where you're going and, and where he's kind of taking you all? So kind of to echo what Kurt said, we are so grateful for you guys. Um, I had the privilege of being part of a ladies group, and I just met some of the most wonderful women in that group. And then our community group, we've got all ages. <laughs> and Kurt also did a men's group, which then let me meet some of the wives. And I just see some of your beautiful faces out here, and I'm so grateful for all of you. Um, so part of looking forward is I'm so excited about um, deepening those relationships 
and um, doing life together. When we moved, one of our purposes of moving here was when we said, when we get there, <laughs> we will make it known that we are followers of Jesus, we love him, and we are going to learn to love him better and to love people. And so we kind of talked to UT about, we really believe that God planted us on the road we live on. And um, we were able to, we are the new people and we live on a country road and that's all new for us because we were like reach out and touch your neighbor kind of neighborhood. And, but our challenge was how do you meet neighbors here? And so we are one of those people if um, you're out and about and we hadn't met you, we take our dog out on the road, and if we saw your house, we just kind of said, hey, neighbor, <laughs> I don't think we've been able to meet. And that's how we met. And we told everyone that once we got settled, um, because another thing we wanted to do on our property is we started a garden, and we did it up by our road. And we did that on purpose so that the people that did drive by, we waved, they would see us, they would pull in, um, and that also opened a, a door of welcoming our neighbors. But we had a come meet your neighbor. We had 55 people show up and we actually had a couple neighbors who um, had lived on the road for 20 years and they met for the first time there. So out of that come meet your neighbors, we have a ladies lunch about every month. And because we have such a solid church here, we actually extend the invitation. So. We feel so confident to be able to say, hey, if you need a church, we've got a great church. Please come with us. Um, we had a gal last week come right. through the um, neighborhood ladies' lunch, and they will be back. They're out of town this week. Um, so I encourage all of us, do life where you're living. I love one of the core values here is do good locally, so I'm thrilled to be doing stuff here for the school, but do things also for where you're at. That whole saying, bloom where you're planted, is so true. Um, because people are seeing you on day-to-day -day living. And um, it just opened up an avenue. We have people who, it, neighbors that say, can you pray for us? And um, that I still do the four o'clock, pray for four, pray for <laughs> Columbia. Um, so we do have neighbors that aren't believers, but they have asked for prayer. So I feel like God has opened the door for that. Um, and just having people in your home, um, the Campbells are one of those. Um, Rob Campbell, his wife, um, we've met them because Rob did work in our home. So just do life and then do it well and invite, That's invite, awesome. invite, invite. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you, guys. Give these guys a, uh, a quick thanks. You just leave me there. That's fine. Um, just to, just to kind of wrap us up, I'm sorry, I, I don't know, <laughs> I should wait for y'all to get off, I guess. Um, you know, gratitude is one of the greatest gauges uh, to measure how we're growing in Christ. And so as we rejoice always and pray without ceasing, and then we, uh, we're thankful and we're always thankful in all circumstances, we can begin to see God growing. We can begin to gauge whether or not we are growing in our relationship with Christ. And one of the things that, that you know, as we gather on these, on these kind of Sundays and we get to celebrate, um, 
that it like encourage with this with this text specifically that on our best day, you know, we're we're gonna um, on our best day we're not going to be able to measure up to this command or this instruction to rejoice always and pray continually and and to be thankful in all circumstances. Um, so ultimately, we look to Jesus and what He did to completely what He did completely and and we couldn't do ourselves. And so this morning, as we rejoice and give thanks, uh, what we want to do is give thanks for the sacrifice and celebrate communion together as a, as a family meal. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And, uh, because, because Christ came, you know, we have reasons to rejoice. Because Christ came, we have opportunity to come to him. Because Christ came, we have endless reasons to be thankful. And again, on my best day, I couldn't do what God has instructed us to do completely. But what we could not do, Christ did for us. And so when we celebrate communion, we're celebrating what Christ did for us. And it tells us on the night that, that Jesus was betrayed, it says that he took the bread and, I, and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body that was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he poured the cup saying, this is my cup and the covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. When you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you're a follower of Christ this morning, I wanna invite you to join us as we uh, take this meal together. We believe that this is a, a family meal. And so if you haven't trusted Christ yet, I'd I wanna encourage you rather than taking this because really without a relationship with Jesus, it's just a cracker and some juice. But rather than that, I would invite you to, to spend some time and search your heart and, and see if you're ready to, to trust Christ. And so the next time that we gather together for this meal that you would be able to share it with us, put your faith in Jesus in the, in the mean, in, rather than taking it today. For those of you who are, uh, who are followers of Christ, I'd, I'd encourage you to take it together, to, to take the body and the blood and, and be reminded that it's not just a cracker and juice, but it is truly a reminder of all that Christ has done. And it gives us the foundation for the reasons why we are thankful and the fact that we can come to him in prayer and the reasons why we have something to rejoice about. So let me pray and then we'll take this, uh, this meal together. Jesus, we thank you for all that you've done. We pray that God, you would honor, that you would be honored in our time together. And God, in just this moment of quiet, as we sing together, I pray that you would meet us here and be near to us. That this would be a moment of response for us as we search our hearts. And for those of us who follow you and have walked with you for, for however long, God, that this would be a celebration, a rejoicing, and communion with you and a reason to give thanks. And for those maybe, God, that they're here this morning that don't know where they are with you, that it would be a time of searching their hearts to trust you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Listen, they're, they're going to sing uh, just this one song together. Uh, am I right? Am I saying that right? We're going to sing, right? Goodness of God. We're going to sing one song. And just let this be a time of response for you guys. 
And so whenever you feel comfortable in, the, in this moment, you don't have to stand, but whenever you feel comfortable, you, this, is, this is you to, you and Jesus. Normally we take this all together, but this morning I, I just want you to, to maybe spend this time just prayerfully asking, just spending time with God. And when you're ready, you take the, the, the elements there. If you do need to have a conversation about what it means to follow Jesus, I'd love to have a conversation with you. We can do that and start now, or we can have a conversation later after the service is over. But let's worship as, as you have a time of response this morning. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.